It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. Recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. And don't forget to follow us on the Twitter hashtag at bzetechshow. My name's Michael Steindl and today I'm joined by my co-hosts Natalie Bucknell and Kay Winnigal. Most of our listeners would have heard of aspects of the growing movement towards community energy. This has sprung from communities' frustrations with the lack of central action on renewable energy and so finding ways to work collectively towards making their own communities less reliant on fossil fuels has been a priority. Sometimes factors such as being at the edge of the grid and issues with supply have precipitated action. Community energy is further advanced in some European countries such as Denmark where communities have been seeking alternatives to nuclear power since the 80s. Here in coal-rich Australia, we've been much slower to take up the mantle, but it's starting to happen. Community energy projects also capitalise on economies of scale and large group purchasing power to help households access energy efficiencies and renewable energy. A great strength of community energy is that communities have been able to customise their approach to fit local circumstances. A group called Anova Energy in the Northern Rivers region of New South Wales have taken up a different approach. We're joined today by their chair, Alison Crook, Order of Australia. Hello, Alison, and welcome, and thanks for your time today. Uh, hello, Michael. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Can you start with telling us what is Innova Energy and where is Northern Rivers? Okay, so Innova Energy, Innova Community Energy, is Australia's first community-owned renewable energy retailing company. And uh, we're based in the Northern Rivers, which runs from basically north of Coffs Harbour to the Queensland border along the coast. So it's um, all of the postcodes that run from the Tweed to the Clarence. Okay. And you're billed as Australia's first community-owned energy retailer. How does that differ from other energy retailers? Well, none of the others are community-owned and none of the others are social enterprises. We were established... Right from the outset, we established ourselves as a social enterprise with social enterprise objectives. So our twin objectives for the entire organisation are to assist the community to reduce carbon emissions and to be a benefit to the community. And more broadly than that, you can say communities in general, but we can get to that later. Hi, Alison. Um, It's Kay here. I was just wondering how much traction this is getting across the community and just wanted a bit of clarification. Do you have the Byron Bay Shire in that region that you cover as well? Yes, yes. The Byron Bay Shire is part of the region and, in fact, our office is in the Byron Bay Industrial and Arts Estate. Oh, so you'd you'd be working in with BZE on the zero emissions project? Absolutely. We're we're a key part of of that. I'll be going to a strategy meeting of theirs on Sunday. Fantastic. So tell us a bit more about the traction that you're getting in the the community. Well, we grew out of the whole movement, the the, the fact that we were all fed up with the lack of leadership uh, at a a political level on climate change. 
and yes. the final and that that had been being discussed for many years at North Coast Energy Forums. Mm-hmm. There was a real push to have a community, more community renewable generation. Um, and the final straw for many people, and me included, was the move to, to start up coal seam gas mining in our pristine Northern Rivers area. And we just had to demonstrate that it was possible to do something else. So the gap was that a community retailer to buy and sell that community renewable energy um, was needed. And the Northern Rivers Councils and the Office of Environment and Heritage and Total Environment Centre got together and made funding available for a feasibility study. A small group of us put up our hands to do that. Um, We did the feasibility study, said, yes, this is feasible, um, and went on to do the business plan, the prospectus, the capital raise. And that was throughout 2015. So 2015 saw us, by the end of 2015, we'd put out the prospectus, we'd done over 30 presentations around the region, and we raised $4 million in capital from roughly 1,100 investors. Very impressive. So that was, a sort of, that was a sort of traction that we had. That was over a four-month period at the end of 2015. Mm-hmm. 2016, if, you, if you're asking how we're going, yeah. um, first uh, half of 2016 is, of course, setting up the offices. This is working in an extremely heavily regulated industry. Um, part of what we did in 2015 was to get our retail licence, um, which is a very demanding thing to do, and that licence covers the whole of the national electricity market. So we can actually... Sit Um, buy and sell in the whole of the national electricity market. But to do that, you have to enter into an agreement with the distributors. And the first distributor that we've entered into agreement with is Essential Energy, who operates across the whole of country New South Wales. So we were doing setting up all the back office systems, recruiting staff, setting up our offices for the first half of 2016. Then the second half of 2016, we actually entered the market and um, I'm very pleased to say that at this point in January, we have about 1,700 customers. We're ahead of target or, and we expect to break even on current progress um, and we have brought forward our break-even date by the tail end of this year, very beginning of next year. Mm, very very impressive. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, we, we think it's exciting. It just takes an awful lot of work and an awful lot of people talking to each other to make sure we keep bringing the customers in. So if I understand that... You, while you're licensed to deal Australia-wide, until you get agreements with other power, say someone in Melbourne that's on City Power, for example, they can't buy through you yet unless until you, you get an agreement with them. That's correct. No, we, you can't do everything at once. It makes a lot of sense for us to target our own region initially. Of course. We only yeah. need one distributor to do that. Uh, it takes changes to systems to set up agreements with other distributors anyway, uh, and there are different pricing structures. You also need to realise that Victoria, unfortunately, has actually separate agreements and it's the one area, mm-hmm. I said the whole of the national electricity market, Victoria isn't, um, has its own rules for that. Oh, no. So we will actually have to get a new licence. Oh. It shouldn't be too difficult once we've been working well and we do expect to move into Victoria ultimately, but right now we'd have to get a new licence to do that. So you'd target the other states earlier before uh, Victoria? Not necessarily, because... Victoria does have strong community bases mm-hmm. and lots of community interest. We may well go into Victoria ahead of areas where there are much more difficult conditions in terms of the way the power fluctuates and the grid operate. So although there is one national market, in fact, there are different pricing structures within each state. Okay. And you- Queensland and South Australia are, are different again. 
and they have more uncertain, uncertain conditions and more risk in both of those states. It's a complicated deal. You're, you're it's a 17... very complicated and highly regulated market. <laughs> yeah. Your your 1,700 customers, do many of them have, have rooftop solar, Alison? Uh, a very large percentage, yes. Uh, in fact, they, they seem to be our uh, very much our natural market, but... Yes, and you I offer mean, you offer a much higher um, feed-in tariff than is typical around Australia, don't you? We're we're offering twelve cents as our feed-in tariff, and that's with um, a deliberate aim to attract more people to going. And the, the typical figures around six cents, isn't it? At least in yes, Victoria. Yeah, but yes, I think in New correct. South Wales, they've just reduced the feed-in tariff, and there's about one hundred and forty-six thousand people that are. Looking, that's dropped off the premium t- tariff. That, the premium yes, tariff, I, that's I am right. I'm pleased to point out that Origin has copied us. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I, I heard that. Congratulations again. Is Origin getting nervous, <laughs> do you think, Alison? No. <laughs> no, we would, we would account for a very small percentage of the people, but there was publicity given. We're, we're a tiny fraction of their customers. They have millions of customers. So far. And, you know, we, we don't expect to move into that range and we're not really uh, a problem to them. But obviously, whenever they start losing customers, they look at what they can do about it. So, Alison, what and exactly is the model for Inova and why, why have you taken the approach that you've chosen? Right. So when you say what is the model, we're, we're set up, as I said, as a social enterprise. We have our holding company with our board of directors and then underneath that, we have a wholly owned retail arm, which is a proprietary limited company. And then we also have our not-for-profit Innova community arm, which is limited by guarantee and is a registered charity. So what happens is the way we projected it, the way we marketed it to our investors is that as a social enterprise, when we move into profit, 50% of profits from the retail arm after tax and reinvestment will be reinvested, will be put into the not-for-profit arm to ensure that we can bring the whole community along with us in the shift to renewables. And our not-for-profit arm focuses on educational programs and social benefit projects. So I guess that sort of um, precipitates my next question a bit in, in terms of, you know, if you're, if you're trying to get people using renewable energy, why start your own company to do that? Why not just encourage local people to to buy green power through their existing retailer? Because existing green power, one, it is more expensive, and two, the reason, one of the prime reasons for us getting up is to try and encourage more community renewable generation and to get the generation going you have to have, as I said, somebody to buy and sell that electricity. Which now, is very very relevant is- in Australia now because, um, well, at least in Victoria with the closing of Hazelwood, um, Renewal Economy says there's not enough uh, green power coming online to replace that. So we need yeah, that, that investment. We do need that investment and we certainly encourage people to buy green power. Uh, part of what we do in terms of our, our model, and I'm, you may be talking about our business, mo- our pricing structure here, is that we uh, offer, um, we encourage people as well as to put solar on their roofs, we offer the best price green power. Okay, so um, let's talk about the green power. There are plenty of sceptics out there and, and uh, all those sales calls that say, look, it's all the same electrons coming down the wire. It doesn't matter where they come from. Um, how can people be sure that it's really green power? What are the checks and balances that guarantee that? Uh, this is, it's, 
a it's a state government set up system, state government based system, um, with an independent body which independently audits the retailers' sales and purchases. So the whole point about green power is that it's additional to the amount of renewable energy already being created under the renewable energy target. Uh, that's its purpose. And it's to enable there to be more funds to go into the development of uh, renewable energy. So there's already a certain amount being created with the renewable energy target and the certificate system that goes under that. But with green power, if a customer says, I want to purchase green power, then that obliges us to purchase that amount specifically from a uh, green power, uh, uh, a renewable energy, a new renewable energy retailer. In Australia? So not old, not old hydropower, um, not carbon certificates, not, in, not overseas carbon credits, things like that. No, it has to be from a certificated, um, accredited renewable energy provider. So That's what- audited each year. So when you buy it from us, we have to separately purchase that amount of certificates and they will get the premium price back to them. So what happens, Alison, if there's not the, sufficient... Above the normal cost of, of what, is on the, what is the price at the wholesale market. So he says not Sorry? sufficient green power in the grid. What, what happens? The price of up. the certificates goes up but of the large-scale certificates go up. I think there is, in fact, plenty of green power in the grid, but at the additional price, people are reluctant to purchase it. I think there are a number of issues around what you've just said about the way the closure of Hazelwood has affected the industry, and I'm not quite sure it's being reported accurately. For those of you that have just joined us, you're listening to Beyond Zero Emissions show and we're talking to Alison Crook about Inova Community Energy. Uh, sorry, Alison, were you going to say something? Yeah, you're fine. Uh, I just wondered if it's worthwhile running through the elements of the electricity industry and how the market operates. That'd be great. I, was, yeah, I just had helpful. a couple of questions on okay. that. So there are... As I said, it's very complex. It's a very heavily regulated market. But the three components are generation, and we still have 85 and to 95% of the energy to the grid is coming from fossil fuel-based generators. So 85 to 90% of the energy that's purchased is fossil fuel-based, and that's creating 34% of our carbon emissions in Australia, which is why we have to tackle it. We just have to tackle it. Uh, the amount that's sold of energy is into the grid is going to depend um, on the amount needed at any time. So people can... A certain amount will be bought and the price will vary in, according to the amount that's needed at any time. So the price fluctuates and, in fact, the price of energy fluctuates every five minutes. It's just averaged out over a 30-minute period. Um, and that's what the retailers have to buy at. Once, once the price is set for that half hour, that's what they have to pay for it. Um, and that's what the, uh, the generators will get, whatever they bid in at, and that'll be the average of what... They will bid in at different prices. There'll be an average taken, and the retailer will have to pay that average. And we've had but discussions there on the sort of gaming that has been happening and the arguments for going to a five-minute instead of 30-minute, yes. That, that's exactly right. 
So the price does fluctuate. There can be sudden spikes if everybody comes home on a hot day at once and switches on their air conditioners and wants to make dinner. So there can be huge spikes. Um, and, but the, the level of the spike will vary on the region, the city, wherever you are. So there'll be different levels of spike, but the price that is paid on the wholesale market um, is worked out by averaging that, that over the half hour. Then you've got your distribution and transmission systems, the poles and wires. And they are regulated in terms of the price that they can, they can charge. And they would charge the same amount, no matter, regardless of where it's coming from and going to. So if it's coming from um, somewhere in the Hunter, coming up to the Queensland border, it'll still be the same price, or across to somewhere in western New South Wales, it'll still be the same price uh, as if it's going uh, next door to somewhere in the Hunter. Um, and we have to acknowledge that a certain percentage of power is lost along the way. So there's up to 10% loss in power as it's transmitted. So it's not particularly efficient to have power travelling a long way. Mm -hmm. That's just two points about that. The retailers buy from that grid at the price that's that's set, and as I said, it can be at a very high price. The way that they handle that is to hedge against those spikes. So effectively, the retailer's job is to protect the consumer from spikes uh, by insuring and um, averaging. So the electricity bill is made up of each layer of the costs of those groups. There's the, the cost of the generators mm. or the cost of the, the price of electricity as fed into the grid and there's the cost of transmission and there's their own costs and then they use their gross margins to offer discounts. So the big retailers with huge numbers of customers will use their, their margin to offer bigger discounts to targeted customers that they really want to keep, the big users. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll also offer sudden discounts to anybody who says, I'm going to leave you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that's the way it works, whereas we're using ours to subsidise green power uh, to customers and also to offer the most generous feed-in tariff available. So although green power is more expensive, and that is because um, we're talking about new generation being created, new generators... Mm as opposed to the fossil fuel generators, which are all sunk costs and which also carry a $5.6 billion per annum subsidy in fuel tax subsidies. Um, and, and the externalities the that aren't charged of, yeah. of using and the atmosphere. No externalities, as a, exactly. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Alison, household rooftop solar seems to be an option you promote. What are the advantages of this over a collective community solar plant? Look, we'd love to do collective community solar plant and we're work, working very hard on several projects. Uh, and we do want to be able to encourage those. We have an agreement with the ACT organisation and we have an agreement with uh, our own council to try to get things up and running. So SolarShare in Canberra, see Community Energy for Goulburn and our own Shire Council and Quorum, all community groups, to try to get solar plants going and to be their retailer. Because there are economies of scale. There are barriers. The barriers that are there, particularly to community-scale solar farms at the moment, is is that cost of transmission. So, as I said, it's the same and it's quite high regardless of where it is. So that although you may have put your money into a solar farm just down the street from you, you're going to have to pay all the same same distribution costs. Mm. And therefore, it's very hard for 
us to offer it at a good price back to you, at a price that would be the same as if you put on your own solar behind the meter. So those distribution, um, the distribution gatekeepers are taking their ticket even if it's power going from one house to the next effectively. Absolutely, and, yeah. and, and that's the whole point. That's a big challenge for us to get this working, and we're currently working very hard probably to get some pilots off the ground with Essential uh, to look at things, and we're also trying to make sure that we can... We're doing a lot of modelling on getting a solar farm going just in the, in the Community Valley here. We're working with Community Power Agency on projects that will probably be announced at the Energy Congress to see if we can do a comparative study between a city model in Melbourne and a country model up in northern New South Wales on solar farms. So it's all in the works, but it is hard to make it stack up. And that's been a problem for us. Mm. Is there any work being done on doing any sort of reform with the grid and trying to make the the costs a little bit more um, equitable? Well, they would probably argue that they're equitable because the country users are charged the same price. They don't pay any more for it to travel so many thousands of miles. And that's why when you get into remote areas, you do have microgrid solutions. Mm. It may well be the case that over time, microgrid solutions are better for some smaller and and more sustainable for some small country towns, uh, small country regions, remote country regions. But all of those things are things that will come out. In terms of, yes, there could certainly, I think, be some reforms carried out. We keep pushing for those reforms. That's one of our roles, along with other community groups. We push for reform through any uh, reviews that are being done, so reform of of the rules that are being applied uh, by the AER. So, for example, we say sustainability and the externalities should be taken into account as Mm. part of the overall uh, national electricity objective. But it isn't, so uh, it's not set in there. So at the moment, the AER isn't allowed to pay attention to the externalities. Yes, um, that's right. It's been a battle for a while, hasn't it? So, Alison, what's your vision for the long-term power mix for the Northern Rivers region? Well, we think it can certainly be self-sustaining and we have the future that would include it probably socially acceptable biomass and that's got to be understood and worked through. Uh, I mean there's been a lot of work done on it already and it it certainly doesn't include wood chipping or anything like that. So socially acceptable biomass plus solar is the way for the northern rivers but probably also taking wind from people just on the tablelands to our inland just to the west of us. So that's the the solutions that we see ourselves creating. Obviously, the whole entry of um, batteries, of um, clever technologies, all of that is being monitored and they'll all have a role to play. But it's the development of batteries that have a huge capacity to change the way energy is used by households and by groups. Alison, we've only got just over a minute left. There's so many more questions wanted to ask. Tell us about the social aspect of ANOVA, the social enterprise aspect. Indeed, love to. Well, our community arm focuses on education and social benefit projects. So for the education, what we've done is to recruit uh, volunteers. They're called our ANOVA Energy Coaches, and we're, um, we've just run our second round of training. So we do a couple of rounds of training and get some new volunteers a couple of times a year. 
they go out and do energy audits, energy assessments free of charge, showing people how they can reduce their energy use and uh, their energy bills. And we, we'll, we're just starting to do talks from that group, so talks to clubs and organisations. And, of course, we attend events, markets and so forth to encourage people to have a coach or to use less or to switch to, to solar or to think about ways of, of uh, lowering their carbon emissions. So that's a, a big project. Um, we've been working for a year now on our first social benefit project because we don't have any... We're not in profit, so we don't have funds that we ourselves can put in. Uh, so we've got a project going with the Office of Environment and Heritage um, and North Coast Community Housing with a, the aim to put um, solar PV on the roofs of uh, 50 of uh, the houses that are owned by North Coast Community Housing. So that project is hopefully just coming to fruition at the moment. We're just working on the training programs and uh, the way in which we'll work with the community of, of tenants uh, to bring that about. And that will be at a price that means that the tenants are ahead from day one on their bills. So it's a little bit like the Darabin model that you may be familiar with in oh, Victoria, yep. where they pay for it out of their rates. In this case, rather than the council, we have a, a philanthropist who's giving a set price. that OEH is putting in half the cost. The other half is covered by a loan from a philanthropist, a, well, a, a social impact investor, who will get a 3% return over 10 years locked in. Great. Well, that sounds very exciting, Alison. And thank you so much we for your time today. As a pilot thing, I'll be rolled out everywhere. Yep. Mm. And Alison, where can listeners find out more about this? And do you have any website details I can go to? We have a, a, a good website, www.enovaenergy.com.au. Great. That's okay. E-N-O-V-A. 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 Energy, all one word. Innova Energy. Thanks very much, Alison. And there's a section there on community in particular. And, and can I just say, we are looking to announce a new way of working with communities at the um, Energy Congress in Melbourne in late Feb. Okay, so is that part of the S Sustainability Festival? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, I'm not sure about the Sustainability Festival, but it's the Energy Congress, which is on the 27th and 28th of March. Okay, of thanks again. Yeah. Thanks to Alison Crook from Innova Energy. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Go to our website to click on podcasts for this show and all the others and you can also find us on Twitter. Thanks for listening and we hope to catch you again next week. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.